You're listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience, a podcast dedicated to helping executives train their sales and marketing teams to optimize growth. Whether you're looking for techniques and strategies or tools and resources, you've come to the right place. Let's accelerate your growth in three, two, one. Welcome everyone to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. I'm Carlos Noche, and I'm joined by my always outstanding podcast partner, Lisa Schneer. How are you doing today, Lisa? Outstanding, as usual. Well, I'm happy you made it back from your travels before all this storm stuff is happening. All right, folks, today is a special day. It is our 300th episode, and we're celebrating it by talking about the podcast past, present, and future direction. And to help us out with this today, we have a very special guest who is the founder of our podcast, Chad Sanderson. For those of you who are new, Chad did the first 250 episodes of the B2B Revenue Executive Experience before Carlos and I took over. He's also a value-selling associate and business partner to Carlos and I, and we work together to drive very measurable impact for our clients. So, Chad, thank you for taking the time to join us today and, you know, dust off the old microphone, and we appreciate it. It is like dusting it off. I, I even had to double check my audio today since it's been so long since I did one of these. But yeah, it's great to be here. Well, we're looking forward to putting you through the ringer. I don't know how much uh, value I'm going to be able to provide, but uh, there's a reason why I stepped back. But let's do it. It'll be entertaining to say the least. All right, Chad, to get us started, you know the first question. You invented it. What's something you're passionate about that those that only know you through work might be surprised to know about you? It's interesting. It changes, right? Over time. And if I look back, it's definitely changed for me. I'd say that right now, the two things, three things that I'm probably the most passionate about is building a house, remodeling the house and and bringing it up to the standards that we want for the forever house. I'm passionately irritated about that process. So it takes a lot of time. I'm also obsessed right now with everything that's going on with AI. Talk to people about how that's impacting not only business operations, but the role that individuals will actually play in the revenue funnel. And fun one is um, due to my attempt to change some habits, I have seemingly now become addicted to Call of Duty and I um, have to go shoot things every once in a while just to decompress. So those are three for you. All right. Well, you know, um, <laughs> let's talk a little bit more about, you know, maybe not about Call of Duty, though. I kind of got into the the Nintendo Switch with uh, Mario Wonder, so I can't say anything about our new habits, <laughs> how healthy they may be. But yeah, let's let's turn it over to give our listeners who have not listened back to your original episodes uh, a little background on you. But then also let's talk about the podcast and how did it come about? And and uh, you mentioned before we started recording, everybody thought you're crazy at the time. So let's dig into it. Yeah, absolutely. So I've been in sales and marketing for 18 plus years executive positions here and there. You can check out my LinkedIn profile if you really want to go deep on it. The podcast Genesis was when I started with value selling associates, we're all 100% commissioned sales reps. So basically have our own brands that we have to do underneath the value selling uh, umbrella. And we didn't have content. We didn't have thought leadership. We didn't have anything that I felt at the time was timely, for lack of a better word, that was going to tackle all of the diverse perspectives from the marketing angle to the sales angle, rev tech. And that was kind of the thought process at first, but it was also a little bit more self-serving because I had a firm belief that based on my marketing background, that it could be used to generate conversations, leads, business, which it did. But when I floated the idea the first time to Rick McInich, anybody who's ever spent time with Rick, there's this 
pause that he has where you can tell that he's trying to figure out how to tell you that he thinks it's a stupid idea without telling you it's a stupid idea. And we had a long conversation about it. He just kind of was like, yeah, I don't think this is going to fly, but if you want to do it, go ahead, you, you know, have, have fun with it. And so I think the first couple of episodes I did myself, all of the video editing and all that, that was a time sink. So we eventually went to a production team, Sweetfish Media originally, and I know now we're working with somebody else, but the goal was to create uh, a platform that would bring together the disparate voices across the revenue funnel, keep my brain active by giving me opportunity to talk to different people because I'm constantly trying to feed my head. I'm going to drive some content that potentially people we've worked with or could work with would, would find valuable. I had no idea. I honestly thought it'd be like eight episodes and done. Right? Because they, I think the stats at the time were like most podcasts fail or don't go past seven or eight episodes. I, I don't know what it is now. This was five years ago. And we did, you know, we put three or four in the can and put together a little rough marketing plan and off to the races. And, and after 250 episodes, um, my business got to a point where I didn't have the time to do this because it is a huge time commitment to do this and do it well. So turn it over to y'all and here we are. That's awesome, obviously, to have thought that it should have failed or could have failed after eight episodes. And here we are recording a 300. So how did you come to the conclusion around guests and who you wanted to talk to? And then did that just evolve with what was timely in the conversation at the time? Or like, did you decide, hey, we've had too many of the same conversations. I want to mix it up because I know you had guests that were a very big range on the spectrum of titles and, and roles. So the first, I'd say, I don't know, 15, 20 episodes came straight off my prospecting list. I went after people that were in or associated with companies that I felt I could help and want to do business with. I reached out to them. Now, it, when you first start a podcast, there's no following. Nobody knows what the hell's going on. And at the time, not a lot of people knew what a podcast was. They spent a lot of time educating people on the opportunity for them to have a platform for their perspectives and their expertise. And so at the beginning, it was like, who's willing <laughs> like i had a long list of people and i was like well who's willing to spend some time on this thing called a podcast that nobody really knows what the hell it is and so the first ones came off that once we started to get traction though it was interesting every marketing pundit on the planet would reach out or had somebody reach out because marketing people love you know to hear themselves talk and so then we started getting more of the marketing people. We cherry picked the ones we wanted to talk to and then word got out and guests would refer other guests. And we finally got to a point where we weren't hunting down guests. We were screening guests, which was a really interesting flip because you, it really told you a lot about the audience and who was actually either listening to it or aware of it or understood anything about the podcast space. And we did end up with a large variety of guests. Of course, your marketing people, of course, sales execs who love to talk as well. But everything from, you know, the UN ambassador for artificial intelligence for good was one of my favorite episodes. Um, I don't remember what, what the number was, but that was a phenomenal conversation. And, and we've had NFL people on as well. So it's been a broad spectrum because at the end of the day, everybody's looking to figure out how to generate revenue more effectively. So it was, uh, it just kind of worked. And I'm just stubborn enough to not have stopped is really what it came down to. But you came up with the name. Did a poll, if I remember correctly. Um, at the time, I was listening to a lot. I still listen to a lot of podcasts. At the time, I think I was listening to the Joe Rogan experience. And there was something about that. And, and based on my background, what I had done for 10 years before I did this, that whole concept of experiential living 
um, was kind of a core tenant for me. So we just took a poll over a really long name that would stick out versus, you know, something coming up with like a little two word or, and in our space in B2B, you don't have the big name recognition like the Kelsey brothers have or Tom Segura and Bert that was just in that movie, the machine, they have brands they can leverage. We had nothing. We needed the name to basically say what it was. So I think we came up with three variations of varying lengths and I ran it through, I don't remember who I pulled, but there was like 10 or 15 people and everybody came back and said, the B2B revenue executive experience works. Let's go with it. So that's what we did. There wasn't a lot of strategy. <laughs> Let's just be clear. It was, uh, we need a title. We better come up with something. And you mentioned uh, some of your favorite episodes. I got to say, like, since we, since Carlos and I took over too, we've had a wide range of people, enablement operations, sales, re revenue, obviously, revenue operations with the rise of that title and CROs, CEOs. We've also been lucky to have a few experts in AI and the market on in AI uh, in information security and intelligence. And then also on kind of a different note, We've had a few lifestyle folks to talk about leadership, who talk about work-life balance, who talk about happiness in your role and, and being fulfilled and how not to, you know, experience burnout. So, Carlos, I'll throw it to you. What was your favorite episode? It's hard to say favorite, but I'll, I'll give you one to start out with was uh, Udi Ledengor, I think it is. He's a CMO of Gone. It was a cool episode because he's got some great, anyways, familiar with Gong. They, you know, they do these call recordings, they run these analytics. So they got this great information. And I'll give kudos to Lisa to drum this up. Lisa, you had that question. I heard you did some research on the effect of cursing on a sales call. Does it help you win more business or not? And uh, if I remember the statistic exactly right, I think he said 9% higher win rate. But you got to know when to use it with the right audience. But it was, you know, he was a great guest because he kind of, he went, the really the, the podcast is all about sales forecast and how it's broken. And then we just shared some ideas of how you could fix it. And we talked about technology and a couple of different things. So he was one of my favorites. And I looked up the episode. It was 260. So I can use a number. 260. There you go. I was going to say on that one too, I thought it was really interesting. Not spoiler alerts, folks. Definitely go listen to it because it is really, it was a good episode. But we sometimes ask guests what big mistake they made in their career and uh, or personal life that they learned something valuable from specifically if it's something that it would help that would help you listeners and us. So I remember his story was very genuine, very authentic. And I thought he was really brave for telling it because it was a big mistake. And I'll leave it at that. So you'll have to go listen to it in order to hear the story. The cliffhanger. He also had the stove analogy. So I'm going to leave that at that one too. The range, I should tell it. That was a good one too. I'll just do one more, then I'll throw it to you guys. So recently we had this whole thing on burnout and Steve Hardy was our guest. And I, I still talk to Steve. And it was a good episode because he just got us thinking about something different. Instead of how do we make more revenue and how do we market better and how do we operationalize? It's like, hey, how do you be the better you? So one of the things he's taught me, just like you, you, the little analogy from the plane is you got to put on your own mask before helping others. Because if you burn out, you're going to be no help to anybody. So it was a great episode and, and it was a great conversation. They'll put you into a trance and then they'll say, when you wake up, you're going to be incredibly confident and you're going to be the best salesperson in the world and blah, blah, blah. You go off, you go, okay, if we want to do that, that might work for a small period of time. But what I do is I engage the subconscious to, once we've had the conversation with the conscious, 
mind. We set some clear objectives and got the conscious mind thinking on what, generally thinking what the solution might be. Then we'll engage the subconscious mind. And this is where the subconscious mind goes to work and starts to really create solutions and think of whole new ideas. And so often that I'll get text messages, WhatsApp messages from clients and just say, I had this dream last night and I just had this amazing idea or I was going for a walk and I've just got it. I just realized what I need to do. And so it kind of supercharges everything. That's the hypnotherapy piece. You'll have both been in the trance already today. It's that state of relaxation, kind of daydreaming a little bit when you're Maybe when you're driving a familiar route or you're doing something that you love, you just kind of lose yourself for a moment. That's all it is. I don't have any kind of magical powers or anything like that. I just help you to get into that state. That one was really good. I'm I'm still talking to Stephen as well. And I think that, you know, it's something that has become a little more openly talked about since the pandemic is like mental health and physical health and well-being and all the different things that go into that, considering all of the different challenges we're we're having thrown at us in the world. And yeah, it's really interesting to talk to people who are making that pivot into that space of, okay, now people need the help, like, and they need how to refocus, need to know how to refocus. And I also thought Stephen was super interesting about his story going from high-powered, high-quota sales executive to completely pivoting his life to hypnotherapy, psychotherapy, and wellness, and what are truly his priorities being, in his case, his family. So, you know, like, it was a really good conversation and just a little off the norm that we get when we're talking about revenue and revenue operations and sales and and marketing. What about you, Chad? Like, if you want to think of the ones that aren't normal for, you know, a, a revenue experience, episode number three, is stands out as one of my favorites with Todd Castle. She at the time was the CFO of the Minnesota Vikings. So all of our Taylor Swift fans can tune in and listen to some football. And I knew absolutely nothing about football at the time. Still not a huge fan of it, but it was an extremely interesting conversation around how much they think about the fan experience and, and the merging of physical and digital and how they were investing in technologies because the Vikings don't want to be a football team. They want to be a corporation that happens to own a football team. And so it was, uh, it was very interesting. One of the things that I really look for that I've seen in a lot of postseason surveys is, is making the experience frictionless year after year i've seen surveys you know everybody complains about the parking and the traffic and <laughs> things like that so it's addressing those so, i mean there's there i think probably most of the you know the teams that are out there sort of leading the charge on tech integration and fan experience really are looking more at you know what they would call the the driveway to driveway experience and it's literally from the time you leave home leading you through traffic or, or avoiding traffic, you know, directly into a parking space, you know, that's even waiting for you if, you know, your systems are sophisticated enough. And then, you know, the mobile device helps guide you right in through a, a mobile ticket, through the gate entry of the event, and then to your seat or to your favorite concession or to help you find a bathroom, that kind of thing. It's the, the problems and the challenges that people have that, are really the obstacles to fan experience. Then if you go back into kind of the things that we do day in and day out, Robbie Traba, which was episode 182 and I think it was December of 20, talked, uh, you know, in detail about the impact of rolling out a framework and a methodology. And the way the thing that was interesting was he's done it multiple times. He's worked with us multiple times at multiple companies. 
And he would get into how it was really a, a behavioral change that they were going after, not necessarily just process change. And he's always just a great listen as well. So that was 182. I had various roles in different companies and I actually broke out for a period of time into um, working within our engineering organization and, and uh, product a marketing organization, setting up industry strategy and so forth. And I was actually given a role because of my sales background as helping to look across at different methodologies that are out there. And there was a whole range of them and huge complexity around them. And whether it was sort of target account selling, whether it was Miller-Hyman, whether it was, you know, different ones, even to the sort of more recent ones like Challenger and so on. What I found is that there's a lot of similarity to them. But to me, what I wanted was to look at the least common denominator in terms of the people who were on my team. And so I wanted something that was sophisticated, but really hit home to the point so that people could think about a conversation that leveraged the methodology. They could think about a natural flow of what they had to do. And as I went through all of them, some were trying to combine too many things. There was all about account planning and then opportunity planning. And there was no clear statement. And what I found with value selling was that it accomplished all of the other ones I'd seen, but there was a natural simplicity to it that people could of different levels and skills and experience could all leverage and benefit from. And, you know, I've seen it from small organizations to going to larger ones. That was, that was something that you could really rally around and, and make good sense of. Lisa, what are some of your favorites? I was just going back to get the numbers while we were talking. And, and now that I'm like scrolling back through the list again, not that I didn't before we started recording, but I'm also going back a little further to our, some of our first ones with like, we had multiple people from VCs who talked to us about what they're investing in, what their portfolios are doing and how that's going to change going forward. And that was over a year ago now. And then I'm thinking, I remember the conversation about creating a brand story with Bobby Gillespie. You remember he was, uh, he was telling us how he likes to test his metal. Bobby, I hope you're listening. Cause like that story about you hiking all night for like 24 hours through the mountains or something. I still think about that. I think about how much I don't want to do that. Right. I think about how I would test my metal in so many other ways. But then, yeah, I really enjoyed having I, a personal friend of mine and someone I learned a lot about leadership with is Vanessa Judelman. She was episode 255. She talked to us about leadership. When I started my business, I thought a lot about all of the issues that leaders have regardless of the industry that they work in. So I literally took all of the needs analysis and assessments that I've done over the years, and I took all of my notes from my coaching clients and looked at their goals and objectives. And I, I literally mapped them out on a wall and I started picking out themes. And I realized that regardless of where you work, what industry, leaders really need to know three things. They need to know themselves. So that's that whole self-awareness piece so that became the first pillar of all the coaching and training that I do. The second pillar is manage my team. Leaders have to know how to coach, how to give feedback, how to develop their people. And then the third and final pillar is lead my business. They have to know how to manage change, execute strategically, prioritize. Those are some of the areas that we focus on in, in lead your business. And so leadership is really complex. And even a lot of people don't realize that 
there are different passages and levels of leadership. And so when you're a self-leader, when you don't have direct reports, you're still a leader in your organization. The minute you move into managing somebody else, your role changes. You have to split your time between managing yourself and managing other people. You have to learn new skills that most people didn't learn when they went to college or university, like How do I actually have a coaching conversation? How do I actually give feedback? Then when you move into the next passage of leadership, passage three, leaders need to know how to manage other managers. And again, that's a different skill. You're not getting results directly through people. You're getting results through managers or getting results through their people. And then you move into enterprise leadership. So leadership is really complex. And at every level, you have to learn new skills. And so what these pillars allow you to do is sort of break down that complexity of leadership, regardless of what position or how senior you are in your organization, and just focus on developing key skills that are relevant at your passage of leadership. Shortly after that, in a similar vein, and with a lot of very similar views on the subject, was your friend, Carlos, and Chad, I know you know Todd too, Todd Capone, who was talking to us about transparency in sales and leadership and wrote a book on the subject. So Todd, obviously, was really interesting one to talk to. You're right. Big shout out to Todd. He was awesome. You know, it's funny. He talked about guests, Chad, and I don't think I knew what the heck I was getting. I said, hey, I'll take over with Lisa. Because I was at first, I was just freaked out about what, what are we going to talk about? And is anybody really going to listen? And all I could see was this chart where the line went down to the right of all our viewers just going, well, it's not Chad, we're out. But along the way, we've used the, the whole podcast app fun conversation. So like inviting my buddy Nelson Vega, which I've known for 20 some odd years and consider him a really close friend to come talk about his company and AI and what they were doing and what he was seeing in the marketplace. Having Big Todd on was awesome, right? Uh, You know, it's funny because when I got started in this business 15 years ago, here's one of the first ones I went and talked to about value selling and what he thought. And Still today, you know, just, I, I know we're going to talk about the present and future coming up, but I still think, you know, I come across interesting people. And now one of my things is, hey, what? this is a good conversation. Why don't you come on the podcast? Because I think it'd be fun to go deeper into the topic. And more importantly, I think there's a few other thousand of folks that would love to hear it as well. Well, you can't, that's the thing with the podcast. You can't, I know a lot of people are starting today because they watch some TikTok or some YouTube kid who said, hey, we can make millions of dollars off of this. And to be really honest, we go look at the stats on how much podcasts make. They don't, they in and of themselves are not huge revenue generators, unless you're like somebody who happens to be dating Taylor Swift and happens to have a podcast, right? Or you're Joe Rogan or something like that. Like you really need to go into the podcast like you should in, almost any business situation, which is just pure curiosity about other people. And this gets more and more challenging because a lot of people live with their phones in front of their faces and and don't really spend the time to be present and truly understand another person's perspective. The conversations are always, there's always something you can take from them. They're always enlightening in some way if you're just willing to engage with it. So I think it's the curiosity that the three of us have that drives the interest in having the conversations because yeah, sure, okay. There's a machine on the back end that may generate pieces of content that show up all of these places. But at the end of the day, the value is really us continuing to broaden our minds and then stay on top of the things that are happening in the market. 
And something you were just saying there, Chad, that Carlos and I have been really focused on since we jumped in is, and this was also our comfort level, because I think you did this much more naturally with all the, your experience in the first 250 episodes, but we're trying to make the conversation more human, less scripted. You know, like uh, at first, of course, um, any listener who has a podcast themselves, you know that you kind of rely on, oh, I don't want to make any mistakes and I want to make sure I touch on all the topics and I hope I don't swear. I definitely notice it when I go back, listen to our early episodes listen to more recent ones, that we we got more free flow. We ask questions based on the answers instead of just a list of questions and things like that. So curious and not not to fully put you on the spot, but I actually don't mind. Um, what do you think about how we've opened up the humanization of the podcast, the human element? I think it's great because I mean, I'll, I'll be honest, if I go back and I look at kind of episode 210 through 250, it was obvious to me that I was not consciously competent and involved in the conversation. I was, I was burnt out. I was tired. I'd had so many conversations. I'd chased so many people. I just relied on the format and then was able to kind of fake my way through it. Sorry for those guests that were part of those episodes, but um, I still got something out of it. It just was, the lift was so large and there's a lot of structure that now a lot of that weight comes from the structure and the expectation of, of the audience but opening it up making it more natural i think would relieve some of the stress and just make it absolutely easier to connect with and build relationships with the guests that are on the show which is the goal right it's all about relationships at the end of the day i got a question for you so over these 300 episodes and this is kind of just talking about the present as well and this is for both of you i mean think about how much the market has changed how popular AI has become. By the way, I don't know if you noticed, we went through this little cold, cold COVID along the way. The world turned inside out. Everybody went, you know, stayed at home. The economy, whether you think it's up or think it's down, it is constantly a roller coaster. What do you guys thought about the market and how the, you know, the world around has actually changed over these 300 episodes? Lisa, you want to go first? Yeah, I mean, my experience with it, uh, for our listeners, a little background as to like how I even got into this uh, show, I mean, um, great career, uh, <laughs> was Chad's fault. I was trained in value selling by Chad in 2018. And around that time, we did an episode about airing SDRs and what to look for in a good SDR and, and whether you hire them fresh out of college or you hire... And anyway, it was a, a subject I was very passionate about during my, my corporate career career because I ran those teams and I'm still very passionate about it, getting to still work with multiple teams now. I just think that some of the things that have changed that we've had good conversations about, of course, AI, but the challenges of remote working and remote management when it comes to sales, SDR teams, all teams. I was actually remotely managing a team in my last corporate job already pre-pandemic, I had a team that was based largely in another office. And so that was not a new thing for me, but it was a very new thing for a lot of the people we worked with, including value selling. Yeah. The COVID caused a huge pivot, right? And a lot of people, I mean, we saw it in value selling, but you saw it also in some of our clients. People shook out. You either were able to make the pivot and be able to be authentic, emotionally available, engaging, articulate, uh, in a virtual environment, or you weren't. You were either willing to embrace the technology or you weren't. And some people are still struggling with it. And now add on top of that, you have AI, which Gen AI, and, and I don't know that it's, in my opinion, I kind of go more with Mustafa Suleiman and believe it's not just about AI, it's the combination of AI, robotics, uh, synthetic biology, and quantum computing. 
And the four of those things coming together, you're looking at a change that is going to separate those who have the ability to be creative and think critically from those that are just button pushers, which we have a lot of in B2B sales. There are a lot of people that are just pushing buttons. It's going to separate out those that can stay on the top of their game. It's going to take more effort and it's going to require, I think, more vulnerability, more authenticity to enhance individuals humanness, if you will. And there's some people that are going to struggle with that just as much as others were struggling with how to use the tech. So every day brings a new headline or a new story or a new research piece or a new horror story. And you never know. You never know what you're going to wake up to. And those that aren't comfortable in the chaos that is constant change are going to struggle. And I think some of us have found it even challenging at times to stay on top of everything at the pace that it's moving. I think there's a huge opportunity for those that know how to grasp it or to tap into it. And I think having a platform like, you know, this podcast will be great for you to pull in some of those experts and, and figure it all out because I think that's what everybody's trying to do. Figure out what the hell's next. Definitely. And I just want to say, because something interesting that just occurred to me is now we prefer, Chad and I usually prefer doing virtual workshops because it allows us to be global. It allows us to be less, uh, spend less time traveling and more time working. But now my own opinion aside, because I've been doing a lot of both these last, well, this last year, but Carlos, I got the impression that you prefer in person. So what do you think? It's a tough question. So first off, I would say before COVID, and not to make fun of it earlier so I don't get any hate mail, it was a horrible thing. In fact, this podcast is probably one of the ways I coped and got out of it. So going back to your question, before COVID, hey, listen, in person is the way we've done it forever. It's the whole human-to-human connection. It is the five minutes before the break. I mean, right at the beginning of the break or right after the break, you make the best human-to-human connections. And I was scratching my bald head, kind of going, how, how do we reproduce that in this environment? Then we did this, right? We went, whoop, 180 degrees the other way. And we tried to find a way to do it by asking people to stay later at the end of the workshop, like the managers, by opening ourselves up to be willing to do more communications and more calls around it to try to get there. It does require the other human being to reach out, to take the handshake, to be there, because you got to be on another Zoom meeting or another whatever platform you're trying to do. So going back to your question, I like both. And ideally, in my implementations, what I would prefer, in fact, luckily, knocking on wood, uh, one of the ones I'm doing coming up is I'm meeting the managers all face-to-face so I can create a really good human-to-human connection with them. And then we're doing all the, the regular certification workshops over Zoom. And I'll have managers that I've met and new people that I haven't. And it's a great cost-effective way for them. And it keeps my butt from having another million miles on it on a plane. So I like both. And it's that ability to kind of mix it up. Chad, you and I just did a great implementation at the end of the year. It was a large rollout. And I think the fact that we met the managers face-to-face to start is what made, you know, coaching their 250 some odd folks, at least you're also involved in, a little bit more productive because they got to know us a little bit. So my answer is uh, not a good one. It's both. It's not all of one. It's not all of the other. In fact, it's one of the things I was just talking to a professor from Harvard uh, that studies sales on this. I go, one of the challenges I have, and this is not to be positive, but I think today sometimes people are looking for the easy pill answer. Hey, I just got to be liked. Boom, I'm a great sales guy. It's not that easy. 
that's like one aspect. That's the 1% of the, you forgot the old 99% of it. So back to this question about in-person or not, you, we, we all put a lot of effort into making remote work and making it successful. But it's also nice to sprinkle in a little bit of the human-to-human connection. And I pray that, I hope I can keep that combination of both going because I think that'll allow me to do this longer and not burn out. Well, and I would, I'd agree. I think the manager component, the leadership component, in-person is extremely powerful. And I believe it can be done. There's, it just changes the work, right? Because like in-person is taxing in a way that unless you've done it, you can't explain to somebody. I mean, we all have significant others in our lives and trying to explain to somebody what it takes to be on for 16 hours and manage a room of 30 to 50 people and keep them all engaged in person. That's a huge energy lift. It's different. There's just, there's as much of a lift. It's just different in virtual. Now the challenge becomes when you're doing it in person, go back, going back to the wellness aspect of it. We were living on planes and we were living out of hotels. And I don't know that I knew at the time, just what kind of wear and tear I was enduring to do that. The challenging impacts of living on the road you know, it stresses your personal relationships in, in your personal life. It stresses your body. It stresses my patience, which we all know is razor thin to begin with. And it becomes a different type of impact. And I found it very, honestly, once I got away from it, I had figured out, was able to look back and say, wow, that was really detrimental to my physical and mental well-being was living on the road, flying back in Friday night, Saturday morning, changing clothes, loading up the suitcase back on a plane Sunday night or Monday morning, and then hitting... In some cases, we'd hit multiple cities in a week and you would do it week after week after week. And you just kind of got into the groove of it. But you didn't, I don't think I realized at the time how, how much it was wearing me down. So I do, to your point, Carlos, believe that if we can keep the blend, we'll be able to be at our best, which is what the clients are paying for. We'll be able to be at our best longer. And can we just have to be creative in some of the ways that we engage some of those follow-up calls, you know, getting into their internal communication, like Slack or teams and being able to do just the time coaching, or I've got some people that I've trained that are, I'm doing text-based coaching off of that as a result. So finding ways to keep the connection alive takes a little bit different energy in virtual. Um, at the end of the day, I'm not a fan of traveling anymore. <laughs> so. I will do it. Like I'm going to Denver next week for a client to do a manager's level training course, but I, I'm not doing every week in and out anymore. And I won't, I just won't. It's just not the lifestyle that I, I want to lead. And quite frankly, I think much like doing back-to-back virtual sessions, it wears you down to where you go back to like we were talking about with the podcast, you just get into, here's the format. I do this now, I do that now, I do this now. And you're not really taking the opportunity to connect with the audience or the, or the participants. And so I think the hybrid at the end of the day will be better. And especially as you start to layer in some of the impacts that AI is going to have. The challenge is what's interesting has been interesting to me is the challenge is the same, whether you're in person or you're doing virtual and that's helping people realize they can't multitask. Like there is no such thing and getting them to really understand that it actually helps me separate those I want to spend time with because I think they'll survive versus those that I think will be replaced by a bot at the end of the day. Well, Carlos, you quoted it not long ago, and I can't remember who said about the goldfish thing. We've now, our attention span is even less than that of a goldfish. So yeah, talk about multitasking and then the fact that we have no attention span anyway. I think the key to doing, whether it's what we all three of us do or any career out there, and this is my little, I guess, soapboxes, 
I think you got to think of it like Disney World. You know, when you're at Disney, you catch that guy that's driving the ride at his eighth hour of the day. He doesn't go, all right, folks, get on board. Here we go. We're going for a freaking ride again. Every experience is brand new. Love you. Excited to see you. And I think sometimes, and maybe it's just being an entertainer, right? Like having that mentality. Every workshop we do with it's virtual in person or even interactions that we have with customers in our sales campaign. Hey, take a breath before you go into it. No one gives a crap you're having a bad day. You could be your authentic self, but realize they're there to be their authentic self. They want to engage with someone that's alert curious, you know, wants to know more about their business. And I, I just kind of go to the point, like you can't mail it in, whether it's the podcast, what we do for a living, the sales campaign, because it's not fair to the person at the other side. And if you find yourself doing it, then it's time to go, hey, maybe this isn't the right career for me. Or I'm burnt out and I need a change for maybe it doesn't mean the full 180 pivot to a different career. It means you need a break and you need to focus on yourself a little more because you're absolutely right, Carlos. And I just said this to the last, well, uh, not the last group I was in front of, but one of the groups I was in front of recently is, you know, like I'm up in front of this room. You're 25, 27 people, I think it was. And I could have a cold. I could have an upset stomach. I could have not slept at all the night before. And I still got to be on for you. And the energy level is dictated by my energy level and my passion for the content. Think about that when you're prospecting, when you're selling. If you're not passionate about what you're doing or authentically interested in what they're doing and how you can help, that comes across. And it can totally be the reason someone pulls the trigger with you or doesn't. Well, think about, so this gets back into like, we talk about social branding and the vortex prospecting, right? The importance for people to be able to develop a true brand, right? And we've gotten to the point where brands almost packaged like, oh, I have a brand and this is the, this inside my brand, this is what happiness looks like. And my life is good. And, and it's almost cookie cutter. Like you, you've got a lot of Kardashians in the sales space, right? They all look the same. They all have the same plastic surgeons. They all, you know, they've all developed a brand, but the piece that requires, I think probably more maturity, more wisdom is the ability to be real. What does that mean? And to be vulnerable in a way that will allow you to connect with people. And even that takes a different level of energy expenditure to maintain that and do that in front of a room full of strangers, whether it be virtual or in person, or to do it in a way that your brand isn't, it's not so polished. Like there's some, there's some, you know, cracks and crevices. There's things for people to connect to instead of this perfectly polished facade that I think a lot of people were just glossing over now. Actually, I think there's some really impactful people out there that we've talked to on the podcast or in our, in our day to day that the sheen of their brand, the, the perfect spherical presentation of themselves makes it seem flat or fall flat. It doesn't have the impact of what they, what they could have if they would just kind of, you know, open the doors a little bit. I think this is what's going to be a huge defining factor uh, as, as we see Gen AI and, and AI come into the space. The only difference is how human can you truly be? And what does that really mean? I don't know how many people are prepared to do the critical thought necessary uh, to come to that realization. 
Yeah, I think, though, you know, this is a good cross-section because we just all got to see Karen Eberns. We had her on the podcast to talk about the importance of storytelling and how that's so much more impactful but also memorable, like retained as information when you can connect to a story. So I think peace, when it comes to what we do, some of the best feedback we get from people is when they're like, you had the stories, you've been on the front lines. And like Chad mentioned earlier, we're all 100% commissioned sales reps. So yes, I've lost a deal at the 11th hour. I've had to deal with legal at the 11th hour. I've had to negotiate. I've had to, and there's a lot at stake for us because there is no one paying us a base pay. So Chad's renovating a house and that's all based on his sales, 100% sell or don't have a house. So I think that storytelling piece, it'll be really interesting to me where that human connection that people are craving, that people have given us that good feedback on, how is AI going to do that? Is it going to be able to do that? Because if a computer is going to tell you about an experience and something you should do or something it did, that's not genuine. That's just a scenario. Like it's like a business case study that you do in college. This is somebody standing in front of you or selling to you who's done what you do or solved the problem you have. I just did a storytelling kind of synopsis keynote for one of my clients. And one of the things as I was getting ready for it, I had to do some research. I wanted to find out what, you know, what's the latest and greatest. PwC put out a report that said 82%, I'm not making up the stat, I have it, 82% of CEOs believe that storytelling is one of the most important things that their rev funnel individuals can do. What they're finding is there's a huge challenge in the ability to structure the story in a way that it resonates, right? And then if you think about in any sales situation, at some point you've put yourself into a story to connect with the people that you're selling to. And the ability to do that is going to be interesting to see how well humans maintain it versus the cross-section of creativity and storytelling with Gen AI. The difference, I think, is going to be that creativity piece because if you look at the language models, they're all associative. So it's, it's all associative kind of storytelling, whereas some of the best stories take some pretty creative leaps not only in structure, but in, in delivery and impact. I think there's gonna be a nice space there for people to be able to differentiate the way they approach the next evolution, whatever you wanna call it, through their ability to tell stories and maintain that human aspect. So let's pivot over a little bit to future. Where should we take podcasts next or where should we take ourselves next? We can throw them at the new one. So well, think about that for a second, right? So like right now, if you think about all of the different technologies that are at play, there's a couple of risks. Number one, that we continue to see people do what we've seen for the last five years, which is hide behind the tech. They hide behind the tech. Oh, I have a sequencer like outreach or sales loss. So I'm going to send a bunch of emails and it's going to do the shit for me. And I don't have to worry about, you know, really feeling the rejection or experiencing the turbulence in creating a, you know, a human to human connection. But you look at things like, I really am interested. I don't have one yet, but the Apple glasses or Meta's got one. And I think from a virtual facilitation standpoint, when that becomes ubiquitous, which is clearly not yet, and I don't see a lot of companies being willing to buy those headsets for all their employees or, or a lab, people could go and use them. But I think at some point that becomes ubiquitous. You could do, instead of you seeing just the two dimensions behind me, this is the wall, you, I think, could get to a point where you could do something that is more interactive in a virtual scenario. I think tech's got to catch up with it. That's an interesting, what could happen next? What's the next evolution? If you look at just the way podcasts have changed over the last five years, 
I mean, we're still doing it sitting at our desks, but a lot of people have studios. Like the Cat Williams interview that he did with Shannon Sharp, everybody's probably seen part of that. That, that was pure entertainment. But look at where they're sitting. Look at the production quality that goes into that. Look at the type of bourbon or brandy or whatever the hell they were drinking. I mean, it's not cheap. Was it cognac? I mean, if you look at if you look at that, there was evolution from this, the boxes, to a studio environment, to two studio environments where you could do and interview people virtually. The next evolution is really, I mean, it's kind of here is that polished set stuff. Now the Kelsey's haven't quite gotten that yet, but you know, some of the bigger ones, Two Bears and Joe Rogan, like they all have that high end production quality. When I started this, I think I invested 200 bucks, like in a microphone and a little tiny crappy mixing board. Like that was all I needed. The entry, the, the barrier to entry is rising, but the opportunity, if you can figure out where to leverage those, I think is going to be huge. And then there's also the content distribution piece, which AI, we were talking about before we started recording. I think AI is going to be great at helping as well as creating those sound bites, which isn't going to help anybody's goldfish attention span, but it will at least hopefully get some breadcrumbs out to drive people back. So they have the opportunity to listen to some of the perspectives that you're uncovering on the podcast. Lisa, what are you thinking about the future? When I think about what can we do to stay relevant to our audience and not just relevant, but useful, like I, that's one thing I think we've been on a pretty good track with is getting guests that the topic is timely, it's relevant, and they leave our listeners with something actionable that they can walk away from listening to this and what are watching it and actually go to work and do it or try it or demo it or whatever. And so I think that that is what I'm most passionate about going into the future is all the topics that we're hearing, like talking about AI and how it's going to be used and things like that. Let's leverage expert opinions and different opinions. And let's, I think we kind of like a news station have a responsibility to bring a couple of different views on a subject. And so I think there's a lot of opportunity in the changing market to do that. And, and I'll just, I'll say too, like there are some things and some people who are very negative about AI it doesn't have to be that way. We had some great podcasts with, with Nelson, you mentioned Carlos, and with, with Jeff Pedowitz talking about how AI can help us do our jobs better and where it's going to be the most productive and what is the safer, exciting things about it. So I think having, yes, we have to learn a lot about it and there's reasons to be cautious. But looking into the future, I think that that's the attitude you have to adopt. And Chad, you said it at the beginning, like you're, you've got a new obsession with what is this going to do? How, how is this going to work? And if we're not curious about how these tools can help us in our positions, regardless of what you're doing, by the way, people, then you won't have a position. We do have to stay on top of it. So let's get philosophical for a second, because I'm really curious. I'm really curious about it. So, but think about, if you think about, you go back to the root cause, like we're in what we do day in and day out, we're always looking for the objective or the issues, right? Things like that. So if you look at what's it going to take I think you hit on something really important that not a lot of people have a tendency to think about, which is an ethical responsibility. Anybody who's creating content, I'm, I'm with you. I believe you have an ethical responsibility not to be overly inflammatory. Like you can be shock jockish, like, you know, the old Howard Stern, or there's some others who I don't want to mention to get in trouble, but that's part of the brand. That's part of the brand and the delivery. But what drives really good content is natural curiosity which I think the three of us are lucky enough to have. 
What I'm really curious about from each of your perspectives, because we deal with hundreds, if not thousands of people a year, are you seeing a consistent increase in just general curiosity? Because I think that's a key ingredient. Or is there a lack of creativity and curiosity that you're seeing in all of these individuals that you deal with? I'm curious kind of what your experience is at that core. Hey, I am a genuinely curious human being and I am willing to engage with ideas in a critical thinking and reasoning way to see if I can better myself and be a better you know, member of my family, of my community or whatever. Are you seeing changes in that or have you seen it over the last few years doing this? Carlos, do you want to go first? I took the last one. Pausing because I don't want to sound like an ageist <laughs> or, you know, some that's this generation versus that. I didn't mean to set it up that way. <laughs> no, but I think that's, and I mean, maybe that's the way I'm going. It might be a bad way to go. But look, in all honesty, COVID and getting trapped in your house did not help the situation. So let me take a side to that. You know, we talk about AI. I think perspective matters. If your perspective of AI is us versus them, man, you're in your primitive mind. You're you're in for a fight, and you're you're pushing back on the future. If your view into go into it is together, I could be a better human being. I could be more productive. I still have a role in this thing. Then I think that's a great perspective to have. Going back to your question, hey. This people's thinking today allow them to do that, allow them to be truly curious with different people with different opinions, different backgrounds, different ages. A little side story, my neighbor's son is graduating from college this year. And but the, here's what I told him, and I think you got, you know, you guys let me know whether you think it was on target. I told him, look, leaving college, one thing to realize that I think helped me in my career is truly be curious of people in totally different industries and different ages. It's those people that are 5, 10, 15 years older than you. By you asking them questions about their day, their lives, their careers, their decisions, that creates great bonds and not only information for you, but it creates bonds because it's those folks that give you the hand up to the next role or give you a perspective to the next opportunity in life. It is a friend of mine that gave me the perspective 15 plus years ago when I got into this whole thing about value selling training that I didn't have at the time. And she said, hey, you love helping people. Have you thought about doing this? And you got to be open and curious to connect with other human beings to be able to get that. Putting that question into well, an AI and getting the answer is not going to be it because you don't even know all the questions to ask. Absolutely. Well, I'm curious, how do you respond? Uh, he was actually really, I mean, what's he's a, he's a, he's a smart kid. He's got big dreams and he, you know, he sucks it all in. He was like, yeah, it's a good point. And I mean, he's uh 21 years old and he's hanging out with two 55 year olds at one o'clock having some bourbon and cigars. He's a pretty cool kid already. Well, it's, it's interesting because like general, just general curiosity. I think we, and I mean, we in like the big global, like we made some mistakes. And I think we've probably seen that with the way that, you know, human centered design has been applied in some of the devices that we use and the way that we inundate people. I mean, you could, you could get created into segments, you know, we all, we've all heard about talk about, you know, the social media bullying and, and divisiveness and all of that. I think somewhere along the way, we lost the ability or the focus on teaching people that different perspective doesn't make the other person bad or that different is a bad thing. It's really the curiosity to 
step outside yourself and see if you can see the world from somebody else's perspective. That skill combined with that, you know, critical thought and creativity, I am concerned because I don't see more of it. But on the if I if I got to go glasses half full, then there's a huge opportunity here for individuals that may not have had that previously to take the time to develop it because that is, I believe, part of the path for those that are going to be able to be successful and stay on top of the new wave of changes that we're seeing, not only as a result of AI, but just the evolution of technology. And I mean, the one thing I will add in that glass half full is that we are seeing a shift in initiatives around DEI, in around climate and environmental science. We're starting to see shifts where part of our contracts require a certain amount of diversity. And we're, we're seeing that shift with our clients as well. So companies have embraced more than ever, I think, diversity and people's backgrounds and their upbringing and their cultures are part of accessing a different point of view, which is the only way you're going to innovate and be creative in your, in your company and your product and in yourself. Absolutely. But we have to foster that, right? Like the, the Simon Sinek, there's a, it was a, it went viral or was semi-famous. There's a Simon Sinek video where he talks about the fact, and he was focused on, this was a few years ago. So he was focused on millennials, not Gen Z, but the fact that them coming up and the way that we raised them. I'm the problem. It's me. Yeah. Well, the way that they were raised, right? It, there, there is a lack of skill sets, let's say, that business needs them to have. And now it falls on business to find a way to help up level these people. Now we work with companies all the time that want to invest in their people. They want to give them opportunities for growth. And I think that's amazing. And uh, the DEI stuff and, and all of the things that you just highlighted, Lisa, I think are critical. What's interesting is all of that is for shit. if the individual doesn't have the desire to evolve, to change, to question that motivation. I don't know how a business is supposed to instill that. Like when we talk about skill, hill and will, or will deal with managers. I don't know how a business of any description is going to successfully increase someone's will and willingness to do new things, to try new things, to be curious, to engage, to question, to fail and not be afraid of it. I don't know how businesses are going to do that. I think it's going to be a, I think it's going to be a challenge going forward because I don't see the you know, glacial pace of change from governmental agencies or education doing what it needs to do fast enough. Because now AI is moving so fast, like businesses can't keep up with it. I don't know how these large structural societal organizations that we rely on are, are going to be able to keep up with it either. Again, goes back to creates an awesome opportunity for individuals who are willing to dig down, be honest, be authentic, apply the grit, the creativity and the curiosity to find new ways and new paths that allow us to leverage the power and possibility of AI without it completely replacing us. I think the junction of that human use of AI, someone who has that curiosity and critical thought combined with the way that we can leverage data through those learning models, I think there's a sweet spot there. I just don't know how many people are prepared for it or see it that way. 
And I mean, I'll, I'll just make the uh, argument, not an argument, but like there were always people with fixed mindset, right, versus growth mindset. And and one, one of the manager trainings I took with Vanessa, actually, who was on the podcast, you know, part of it was how do you identify growth versus fixed mindset? How do you hire growth versus fixed mindset? If you're coming into or already in a situation and you have a fixed mindset and there's no room for for you to change, you're not going to keep that job. Like, <laughs> ultimately, the guy selling fax machines for Xerox had to pivot. He did have to pivot. Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be interesting. I think there's huge opportunity, I think, for certain, let's go to the other end of the spectrum, Boomer, even Gen X, which is where I fall. Some of it, even though we've lived through massive amounts of change and, you know, there's all the jokes about, you know, Gen X was 30 by the time they were 13 because they were latchkey kids and all that stuff, right? Like we've lived through different things, but I'll own and be authentic. The rate of change and the rate of information that is available and the number of people that now have access to broad spectrum platforms to put these divisive messages out there, it's a lot. It's a lot to take in and steal yourself against so that it's not negatively impacting. You know, I have friends and people that I work with that say, hey, we don't watch the news anymore. We don't, we just turn it off. We can't take it because it's all just so negative. And so I think not getting into a point where we self-select so we only get the messages we want to hear, which has been problematic societally to this point, but being able to say, okay, I need to filter in multiple perspectives, but the key word there is filter. If I try and take it all in, it's overwhelming. I mean, the number of notifications I get on, oh, this news story came out or this tech just did this or this just happened. It's like, where, where do you start? And so I think there needs to be a consciously competent engagement from an intellectual level for people to willingly filter multiple uh, perspectives. I just don't know how we equip them to do that. And I'll, yeah, I don't know that I've figured it out for myself because I still struggle with it because I want to know everything. And the next thing I know, I'm like, ah, the glass is half full or, and I don't want to, you know, I don't want to be that person. So how do you, how do you keep yourself from going down the curmudgeon path and still seize the opportunity that's in front of us? If I had to kind of pull it up a little bit, I just think about this from two spectrums. One is for the Gen Xers and us that have had some experience and that includes millennials, right? Because, Hey, we forget they're kind of the, the senior, you know, the managers and the workforce and the directors and some CEOs and VPs as well. So two sides. One is, if you have some knowledge and experience, be willing to share it. You know, don't worry about, you know, being judged and be willing to share it with, you know, just not that it's the fact that it's the only way things are, but in an effort to kind of share your perspective and get, got, you know, either agreement or disagreement, because that's how we learn. On the flip side, hey, whether you're Gen Z, millennial, Gen Xer, even baby boomers, the reality is, back to your thing, be curious. That also means be ready to be maybe uncomfortable, right? Listen to a different perspective, point of view, and you don't have to attack them to get your point of view on. You just got to go, hey, it's interesting. Why do you think that way? Because, you know, either I got it wrong, <laughs> which happens a lot, or you got it wrong, but, you know, It'd be great to understand because a lot of times it's just people looking at an issue from a different angle and then we're arguing about the same thing. But we don't see it that way because we don't aren't willing to be curious and allow them to speak and see what the perspective is. After the conversation, you can always decide, you know what? That was that made sense. I got this out of it. Or that didn't make sense to me. 
And then you get a choice. Do I go back and talk to them some more? Do I search out others to learn from? But I know this sounds so simplistic. I think some of that, going back to your original concerns, Chad, is, is lost today. You know, people walk around feeling like they have to know all the answers to the tests. And when they don't, then what they want to know is, well, what's the answer that you want? It's not about getting the answer right. It's about having mutual understanding. We learned this from Karen Eber, right? Brains are lazy. Human brain's lazy. And we know the brain labels. Like it's a label making. That's how it makes sense of everything. And I think we all see it a lot. There's a lot of labeling. That's bad. That's not, you know, that's aggressive. That's this. Rather than, it's just different. It's just a different perspective. And even that, at some point, you have to make judgment calls on what you do and don't want to engage with, absolutely. But the vehemence with which you choose to respond creates ripples, right? It, it creates impacts across other people. So I think it's going to be, it's going to be interesting. It's a huge opportunity for a lot of people over the next six, eight, 12, 18 months. And I think it's going to be those that can get uncomfortable, be comfortable being uncomfortable. I think now more than ever that cliched kind of phrase makes sense because most of the people I work with are uncomfortable. You just got to have to go in with, like we say in the manager's class, positive intent. I want to find the positive intent in this. How's it going to help other people? And admit, you don't know everything. Nobody knows everything. So there's always a place to learn and connect. Yeah, exactly. Nobody with genuine curiosity or like a true desire to grow and change is going to be the smartest person in the room. So would you say that that's your acceleration insight? Your one piece of advice for our listeners is get comfortable being uncomfortable or you can choose something else. I would say it's twofold. Everybody, I think, needs to get comfortable being uncomfortable. But I also think the best path to success is to stop making it about you, is take a moment, take a breath, and just give someone the space to express a perspective. Listen to it. Don't just instantly shut down, but listen to it. Think about it a little bit. Slow down to speed up, right? Because everything has the appearance of moving so fast and we know that busy is not productive. So if we want to be as productive as possible, understand it's not all about you and find a way to understand somebody else's perspective at least, at least once a day. If you're not going to just make it part of your total growth mindset, uh, figure out what it is to understand where you're at what you have and don't have or need and where you may be able to get it and that it's going to require you to potentially engage with ideas, concepts, or perspectives that aren't part of your, of your day-to-day. And that's okay. It's just, a, it's just a mindset for, hey, what can I learn today? And how do, how do I do it in a way that isn't going to negatively impact others? Perfect. I'll quote one of all of our favorite people and say, statements cause conflict, questions uncover solutions. Shout out to Ricky. Yeah, Ricky Mackinich. We love you, Ricky. All right. Um, so, Chad, if any of our listeners wanted to get in touch with you to talk more about any of these subjects and to engage about value selling, how would you prefer that they do that? You can always hit me up on LinkedIn or you can shoot me a text message at 303-834-5932. Just make sure you tell me who you are, where you're at, or you're going to get new phone who dis. Yeah. And mention that you are listening to the podcast. Awesome. Chad, cannot thank you enough for your time today. We really appreciate it. Awesome. It was great to see y'all. Look forward to seeing what's next. Thanks, Chad.
Same. So everybody, that does it for this, our 300th episode. And please check us out. You can listen to the first uh, 250-ish with Chad, and you can, of course, listen to uh, right up until this 300th with Carlos and I. And please share this episode with your family, your friends, your coworkers. You can subscribe through YouTube. You can sign up through Spotify, Google Podcasts. We are everywhere. And you can also find us at www.b2brevexoc.com. If you like what you hear, you can throw us a five-star review on iTunes. Thank you so much. And uh, thank you to my podcast partner in crime, Carlos Noche. And until next time, we wish you nothing but the greatest success. You've been listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show on iTunes or your favorite podcast player. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.